Hello and welcome from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This podcast you're about to hear was recorded at our Burrigan campus. So sit back, relax, and enjoy what God has to say to you. Thank you that you are King of Kings, your Lord of Lords, all might and majesty and dominion belongs to you. There are many who would be willing to open the scrolls and have power, only one who is worthy. And you are worthy, Lord, worthy above all. You have no, you have no rival, you have no equal. Now and forever you reign. You're our King of Kings. You're our Lord of Lords. And you are in this room by the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, come. As you have been with us, come in this section. Do what you wish to do. Lord Jesus, build your church. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart Be acceptable in your sight, Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Church said, amen, amen. Amen. Thanks so very much to the worship team. Exciting to see him moving into a new role in our team. And my pleasure to welcome you, those watching online. Thank you for joining us in that format. A special welcome to you. I'm Graham Mabry and I have the privilege today of continuing the series on Love Thy Neighbour. Craig launched it. What, we've had two magnificent messages so far, haven't we? I went to both Craig and Dan and said, chop that out straight away. It puts too much pressure on the rest of us. Just, <laughs> but, uh, but they have been excellent. Craig launched the series on what is love. Dan spoke to us last week on why do I love? And today it's who do I love? And if you're a, a, a massive packed stadium, you'll hear a performer say, I love you all. I remember Jeff Fennick, I'm not interested in boxing, but I remember Jeff Fennick used to go, I love yous all. That's that wonderful Australian word for the plural, right? Yous, yous can all come over here. I love yous all. Uh, I'm not sure what that means. It probably means thanks for coming. It could mean my bank manager really loves you all. (laughs) Could be that. Well, then again, there's the approach of this little guy. I love everybody. Some I love to see. Some I love to see leave, and some I just love to annoy. (laughs) It's not a new question. It was asked of Jesus, and that's our reading today. So let's go to it. It's in Luke chapter 10. If you have your Bible in whatever format, it'd be good to have a look at it. It starts at verse 25. It'll be on the screens. It already is, thanks to him. (laughs) On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus answered, what's written in the law? How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you'll live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbour? And in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. A priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So a Levite too, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. 
But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who showed mercy. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. He was an expert in the law. Now that means he was an expert in the Torah, the written law that the Jewish people had from the Lord through Moses and other books. So he was that sort of lawyer, but it's gonna save a lot of time and a lot of words if I just say he's a lawyer, but you'll know what I mean, right? Secondly, he stood up to test Jesus. A heap of people speculate on what his motivation was. Well, the Bible doesn't tell us, so I figure it doesn't matter. It's really, but, but it's worth noting that if Jesus is being questioned by a Pharisee or an expert in the law, it's not always hostile. See, in those days, the rabbi stood up in public places and debated and questioned and went back and forth and it drew a crowd. It was kind of a mixture of television and sport and education. And they kind of keep, I don't know if they had rabbi tipping competitions, but it was kind of, it drew people. So it's not necessarily, sometimes Jesus is being maliciously attacked, but not always. It's just worth noting that when you're reading the New Testament, I think. But the focus this morning is this man's worldview. And his worldview is captured in that two letter word in his question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do? See, in his worldview, it's a very common worldview. I'm sure it's in the room this morning. I'm sure it's in some of the people who are watching, or it could be those that are watching online. Because his worldview says eternal life is something you earn. So what have I got to do? I remember many years ago, I was very early in my radio career, a larger than life media personality who I will not name, um, came to me and said, hey mates, there's 10 commandments, right? I said, exactly. He said, right. Five out of 10's a pass. So if I keep five, I should be okay. Uh, there was a mutual friend standing there and he said, mate, I know you well, you're struggling to make three at the moment. <laughs> That's been the view for a long time. Eternal life is something I earn, so what do I have to do to earn it? Now Jesus responds with a question. We heard that in the reading. Now he's not, he's not trying to be cute, of course. He's love on two legs. And he's not trying to win points in the rabbinical debate. What he's doing is being the great teacher. See, great teachers don't tell you stuff. I started my life as a teacher. And the ones that I was impressed with, they didn't tell you things. They asked the right questions so their students could discover for themselves. And Jesus is asking exactly the right question. He says, okay, you're the expert in the law. What's written in the law? How do you read it? He answers, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. And Jesus goes, correct. And the crowd go, whoa, check that out. Got that right. That's one to him. So I told you it was like television. Then Jesus uses the man's own word, do. Jesus says, do this and you'll live. There you go. All you've got to do is obey the law perfectly. Just love like God does. 
be, love God perfectly, love your neighbour as yourself. So when your neighbour gets that thing that you so wanted and worked for and you were chiselled out of it and your neighbour got it, but you be as delighted for them as you would be if you got it. <laughs> and you're fine, off you go. Nothing to see here, move right along. Now, of course, again, Jesus is not being clever. He's not trying to win points. He's being loving. That's all Jesus ever was. See, he did the same thing for the same reason in the Sermon on the Mount. In the Sermon on the Mount, he goes through greed and lust and anger. And throughout it all, he's saying, you've heard it said, but I say, push the bar up. When he comes to love, which we're talking about today, he says this, you've heard it said, love your neighbour, hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be the children of your Father in heaven. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. These people had the brutal foot of Rome on their neck and Herod was no better. Rome routinely slaughtered people and did terrible things to them before they did. And Herod decides there might be a threat of a new king, so kills all the boys under two in, in around Bethlehem. And you're telling us to love these people? Are you kidding? Love your enemies? Some of you might have heard Philip Yancey uh, when he spoke in Perth some years ago. It wasn't long after 9-11. And he was talking about the fact that our Western minds just can't get hold of how affronted people would have been to hear Jesus say, I want you to love the Romans. Love the Herodian soldiers who slaughtered your children. So he put four faces on the screen and said, see, see what, he says, say I asked you to pray for these. Now he said, as it happens, they're all deceased. But if I asked you to pray, and then he said, those are the faces of the men who flew the planes into the Twin Towers. And that was so soon after, I felt the impact of it and got some idea of how affronted these people would have been. And then Jesus finishes the same way, just be perfect as your father is perfect. What, is, what on earth is Jesus doing here? Well, he's being loving. And Yancey, I think, puts it brilliantly. Let me just share the way he puts it. Inexorably, Jesus shows that before God, we all stand on level ground, desperate. The only state appropriate to, to a human being who wants to know God. Having fallen from the absolute ideal, we have nowhere to land but in the safety net of absolute grace. He's pushing the, he's just wanting you to know on your own, you will never do it. Craig and Dan reminded us of all the Jewish words for love. And what Jesus is saying is philia, that kind of community love, that won't get you there. Storge, family love, that's not going to make it either. Not to this height. Eros, romantic love, that won't get you there. The only love that gets there is agape or agape, some say. The love that is of God, the love that is God. Now, that's totally selfless love. Well, who can love like God? Only God. So he's trying to say this, what do I do? Doesn't cut it. Only God can love like God. So the lawyer's now got two options. You just go and be perfect. You're home. He can respond personally, like some of you would be responding now, and I am. It's impossible. I can't get past breakfast. 
right? I wake up, I say, well, Lord, I wanna thank you for today. I, I haven't lost my temper. I haven't been unreasonable. I haven't taken anything that's not mine. I haven't coveted anything that I know of. But in about 30 seconds, I'm gonna get out of bed and it's gonna get a lot harder then. So would you be with me? He can make an honest response and say, I can't do it. Or he can hide from a personal response by depersonalizing the whole situation. He can hide from it and that's the choice the lawyer takes. Instead of going, but Jesus, I can't do that. He says, well, who is my neighbor? Give me a definition. See, definitions are very useful if you don't wanna be authentic because definitions let you hide. With a definition, neighbor becomes an object or not a person and you can discuss it and dissect it and analyze it and check the commentaries on it and debate it endlessly impersonally. Well, sadly, I have to tell you, I play that game at times. And you know when I do it most? When Jesus is most directly saying, Graham, it's just easier to start getting into what four commentators think of what he's asking me to do. Jesus is trying to reveal truth that will set me free. But I'm so prone to hide in endlessly analysing and discussing stuff I'm not living. I don't know if it's happening for you, but the Holy Spirit does. And it's not a good place to be. Your heart gets harder. You get more cynical. So maybe you could just say, Holy Spirit, am I doing that? You may not be, but am I? Is there somewhere where you're so trying to have me step out and be free? but I'm discussing and debating and pushing the whole thing back. Well, the lawyer chooses number two option. He goes for definition. But when the crowd hears his question, they just think, oh, fair enough, that's the next question in the rabbinical debate, but we know better. Because whereas we don't know his motivation for the first question, we definitely do for this one, Luke tells us. Luke says, but he wanted, excuse me, he wanted to justify himself. See, he's aware of the pressure that Jesus is bringing to bear and he's pushing back against it, obviously also no doubt aware of those who are listening. Archbishop Richard Trench, I think, says it really well. He does this out of a desire to clear himself. So he goes with, well, who is my neighbour? Now, if you're going to ask that question, you must have a group labelled, not my neighbour. You've got to have a non-neighbour group or you don't ask the question. You don't ask who do I love unless you believe there are people you don't have to or people you can't or people you can't be expected to. And the minute you have a category that's labelled non-neighbour, you have the basis of all the divisions in our society and the basis of Satan's strategy. He wants us divided. He wants to divide church member from church member, husband from wife, parents from children, family from family, nation from nation. That's his stock in trade. And the basis of it is to think some are not my neighbour. All the barriers, racial, ethnic, sectarian, whenever we create an us and a them, that's the basis of this. And it's so a part of us. Yesterday I had the morning, I had the privilege that I say of speaking in the Gideon's conference yesterday morning, the Gideon State Conference. And when they were welcoming people at the very start, they welcomed three special guests from the Eastern States. And immediately I had this thought, oh, wow, we finally found three wise men in the East. We can have a nativity play. 
You'd be very happy to say, I didn't, no, I didn't say that. I didn't, but it's in there. And I lived some of my time in Sydney. I lived everywhere else too, but I lived in Sydney for a bit. It's just in us to have this, who is my neighbour? John Wesley, in his notes, he really nails, I think, what's happening to our heart in this. The heart behind this question, Wesley says, it's filled with bigotry and party zeal, and it contracts our love to a small number whose sentiments and practices are so much our own that our love to them is merely self-love reflected. It's the 1750s language, but he's spot on, isn't he? See, we, we abandon agape and try and shrink it down to grade B philia and hope that'll cut it. Well, the question's asked, who is my neighbour? And Jesus dives straight into a parable. He is so skillful, Jesus. He would have grabbed everybody's attention. Who is my neighbour? A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And when he said that, the crowd would have gone, whoa, dodgy. Jerusalem to Jericho, that's, that's the way of blood. That's what it was called, by the way, the way of blood. It was a road that went steeply down. It dropped about eight kilometres, 800 metres in 25 kilometres. It was an ideal ambush site. It was riddled with robbers. There were lots of gangs. And then the people hear Jesus say, so they stripped this man of his clothes and then beat him half to death. But then, well, they're professional robbers. They took the clothes first because that's part of the loot. Don't want them all bloodied. So get the clothes and belt him up. Then he says, a priest happened to be going down the same road. Oh, thank you, Lord. God has sent a shepherd to help. And he passed by on the other side. A Levite came. Oh, Yahweh is merciful. Another help. He's the God of the second chance. And he passed by on the other side. Now in the crowd, there'll be a reaction of disapproval. Some of them might think, yeah, that's what they're like. <laughs> they didn't all hold the religious establishment in high esteem. But they'd all disapprove because they, they learned the Torah as children growing up. Do you know what it says in Exodus 23.5? If you are, you're a genius because I didn't know till I looked it up. It says this, if you see the donkey of someone who hates you fallen down under its load, do not leave it. Be sure to help them with it. Whew. Someone who hates you and his donkey's fallen down, got to help Listen, if someone's giving you great grief, they're getting so far up your nose, all you can see is the sole of their shoes. And then you're driving down the freeway and a policeman is giving them a ticket. Come on, isn't there a warm inner glow that just starts to emanate from? <laughs> see how this is non-human love. We can't do it, guys. Very quickly, for centuries, our culture has seen the Good Samaritan as a hero. We have Good Samaritan laws to protect them. We have uh, Samaritans phone counselling. We have Samaritans purse and hospitals and schools and so on. And so it's hard for us to get hold of the hatred between Jew and Samaritan. We mention it often here in church in, in various messages. And the feeling was very mutual. They loathed each other. But we can't really understand the impact when Jesus says, here comes the good guy. Because see, the second reaction these people would have had is, the, the main point's coming here. The first guy, no good. The second guy, no good. You know when you hear a joke, Englishman, an Irishman, a Scotsman, first one does this, second one does this, oh, here comes the punchline. And the punchline is, a Samaritan is the hero. 
Which is, as I say, we're, we're so used to seeing the Samaritan as the hero, we can't understand really the shock value of that either. Maybe we get some idea from John 8. The Pharisees want to hurl their worst insult at Jesus and so they say to him, you are a Samaritan. See, Jesus has great timing. He's telling this parable when the tensions between the Jews and the Samaritans are at their highest. The Jews had destroyed the Samaritans' temple and the Samaritans had sneaked into the Jewish temple and desecrated it with human bones. So things were not good. In fact, at the end of this, when Jesus says, who was the neighbour? And you notice in the reading, the lawyer says, well, the one who showed mercy. Maybe he just can't bring himself to say Samaritan. And this sworn enemy, this despised person, goes to his enemy, who certainly would have walked past him if he was the one bleeding. He he bandages his wounds. He pours on oil and wine. He puts him on his own donkey so he walks. He puts his life at risk. He takes him to an inn and takes care of him. In Australian median wage terms, he gives about $350 to the innkeeper and says, I'll pay you for any extra. So he assassinates his schedule. Were the other two guys busy? Well, why were... He just said, I don't care if I'm busy. Here's a person in need. He assassinates his schedule. He risks his life. He risks a blowout in medical bills. He risks the innkeeper ripping him off. Now, the sound you would have heard if you were by Jesus that day wasn't applause. It was the sound of everybody's jaw hitting the ground with their mouths hanging open at this unthinkable concept. A Samaritan doing this. See, the Samaritan is not saying, who is my neighbour? The Samaritan's saying, oh, you're in need. I can help. I'm your neighbour. Not who do I love. I can help. You're in need. I'll, I'll help you. I'll love you. So what's the difference between the first two goody-two-shoes religious people and the Samaritan? Jesus makes it crystal clear. He says, when the Samaritan came along, when he saw him, he took pity on him. Message says his heart went out to him. The Amplified says he was deeply moved with compassion. Now that Greek word for compassion, one of my favourite, splonknizomai, isn't that fantastic? I could say that all day. Hey Merle, splonknizomai. It's just a fun word to say. It's a beautiful word because it's the same word as Jesus saw the crowds and his heart went out to them and he healed them. Even for me, more relatable even is the father who sees his prodigal boy a long way off and splonkinis on my compassion pours out of him and he runs towards his son, something fathers in that day never did. You know, I had agreed to meet one of my sons, who shall remain nameless, could be either. Uh, one, his car was dodgy, both were. And so I said, look, meet me at the radio station. I'll drive home with you because it's pelting with rain, big storm, and your car might break down. He guaranteed he would be on time. He was significantly late and I was significantly ticked. And so we didn't exchange words of love. We just hopped in our cars and started driving home. And halfway home, his car stopped. And I thought, just perfect. All the way I'd been thinking, you're a irresponsible kid. I'm failing as a parent. We make commitments and I'm giving all that's going on for me. I think, oh, perfect. Now the car's broken down. It's pelting. He gets out of the car and starts walking back to me. I don't get out of the car. I just put the window down uh, and scowl. And he goes straight past me. And then I realised 
He has seen somebody broken down on the side of the road and he's gone to help them. And I got a sudden, instant, vivid heart check. What's the difference with the Samaritan? His heart. I'm the pastor and I'm so busy being ticked, I don't even see the broken down car. And to be honest, I didn't want to get wet. How's your heart? See, it helps me understand why David said, create a clean heart for me, God. Search my heart. Know my anxious thoughts. That's a good prayer for right now while you're listening to me. It's more interesting than me anyway. Search your heart. Search my heart, Lord. Search my heart. You can't do it for yourself. I can't do it. My heart's as crooked as a dog's back leg. It's as phony as a fake internet identity. My heart will deceive me every time. Jeremiah tells us that. I always want to be Little Red Riding Hood, never want to be the big bad wolf. But the Holy Spirit is brilliant and loving and gracious. And we're about to have communion and an opportunity for you to respond to whatever the Spirit is saying to you. How's your heart? Just before we do it though, two really important questions. If you've been journeying with this, and I pray you have, your first question will be, well, hang on. If it's impossible, I can't drive down the freeway and not have a little bit of warm feeling when my enemy isn't doing so well. I, so if it's impossible, how, how do I do it? How do you do the impossible? If only God can love like God, well, where does that leave me? Do you remember Dan's story last week of Corrie ten Boom forgiving the concentration camp guard when she, where her sister died? One of the cruelest, but he'd come to Christ and came asking her forgiveness. You remember that? And do you remember him saying that she could not forgive him? And she called out to God and as she reached out her hand, she felt something like electricity surged out. Well, the verse she actually called out to God on was this. She said, Lord, your word says the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Romans 5.5, Holy Spirit, shed your love. I cannot love this man. I cannot forgive this man. And once speaking to another group, she said, could you forgive him? And they go, no. And she said, neither could I, but he can. You step into the Holy Spirit. So how do we do it? Only by the Holy Spirit. Now, here's your second question. Good question. I can't love everybody. So I can't. Literally, I cannot love everybody. So who do I love? And you're right, we're not called to absolute, infinite availability. Jesus went into a town heaving with people called Jericho and visited Zacchaeus. He went into Bethesda and healed one man. We're not called to infinite availability, but really it's the same answer. How do I know? Well, let me take you back 32 years from this parable. Jesus is a baby. Mary and Joseph have taken him into that same temple. And who just happens to be there? Simeon. And what's true about Simeon? He just happens to have been told by the Holy Spirit he wouldn't die before he saw the Lord's Messiah. And why was he in the temple that day? Well, it actually says in Luke's Gospel, moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. Let us keep in step with the Holy Spirit. He knows what he wants you to do. That's why I'm not giving you examples of things. I don't know, but he does. And I know only too well, if you ask him, he'll very directly at times. Remember Nick saying once, isn't it interesting how the Holy Spirit will just go, no, 
<laughs> and you just know. You can wriggle on the end of that all you like and go off to definitions and whatever else, but you know exactly what he's saying and you know that it's drenched in love. You know your good is in his heart. Craig said we need to allow the Holy Spirit to bring this into our lives or it doesn't happen. I used to go into a little valley in Kelmscott, uh, early days of our ministry. You could walk to it from my place. I have my prayer days there. And one day I, 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 I went there feeling like I don't have the Holy Spirit at the moment. I'm not aware of your presence, God. I'm not seeing what's going on. And as I walked into the valley, the little stream that normally flowed down, there was a tiny trickle. So I walked up the valley to see what was happening and I discovered something like this. Now, the stream wasn't that big and the rubbish wasn't quite that bad, but you get the idea. There's just a pile of rubbish. So I cleaned it out, got it in, took it off, put it where I could take it off to a bin. The stream started flowing again, just like I normally enjoyed it. And then this inner voice said to me, Graham, there's no problem with the supply, but you've got to clear out the clutter. You've got to make room. No problem with the supply. Jesus said, out of our innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And he was speaking about the Holy Spirit that he will give us. But you've got to clear the clutter. Think about this. When was the last time you were just overwhelmed with the presence of Jesus? Sense of his love. Sense of how without him is nothing. Anything we do outside of him is so futile, but he is everything. So what's got in the way since? What's in your life? Again, he'll tell you. What's the clutter? What is he saying? Get, just get this stuff out. Let my spirit flow. See, we have to make room for renewal. God's been talking to me a lot lately about what we take off and what we put on from him. And it's almost like he's saying to me, Graham, I've, I've, I've promised you living water you've got to make room for it to flow. It's my power, but it's your choice. And that's where we sit this morning. Coming to communion, it's his power, but your choice. And I pray you just respond to his love. If you're hearing his voice, if you're hearing truth that'll set you free, I'm praying you won't hide in exegesis. Don't get into an ivory tower of discussion and debate, what Brendan Manning calls the ivory tower of exegesis. Endlessly creating rules out of fear of a God you're not experiencing. Talking about stuff you're not living. And I have a sense, and if this is wrong, forgive me, uh, but I submit it to you out of love. I have a sense there are those in the room today who feel more like the guy who was going down from Jerusalem. You feel like you've been kicked to the curb, you're beaten up, you're bleeding. Life and hope are ebbing away. The thief only comes to steal, kill and destroy. And maybe spiritual people you hoped would help just went by on the other side. Well, Dan said love is perfected at the cross and there is a good Samaritan who comes to you. He's coming to you right now. He comes to you, he protects you, he binds up your broken heart, he pours in the oil of his Holy Spirit and the wine of his blood shed for you. So now we're gonna have a time to say, come Holy Spirit. 
and you just be with God. And we'll have a, a time of prayer and being with the Lord. And just whatever he says to you, do. And then we'll, I'll lead you into the communion in a moment. You take communion. In, we're not rushed, by the way. We're not in any hurry, thank the Lord. But um, if you in your own time take communion, then if you wish, we will have the ministry leaders and others at the front to anoint you with oil and pray God will fill you and you in afresh with the Holy Spirit. I mean, who wouldn't want that? And you're welcome to come. So let's go through it again. Some time just to be with the Lord and let him speak. And then in your own time, take communion. And then I'll let you know that, okay, if you'd like to come forward, ministry leaders would be, it'd be a privilege for them to pray. That'll be a brief prayer, praying. And if you want to come forward, because, you know, let the el- call for the elders when you're sick, we'd love to pray for your healing. But then if, if it's something that you think, you know, I need a little more prayer, just take a seat at the front and when the service ends, we'd be delighted to stay with you. So come forward if you would like, when I say to be anointed with oil and prayed for. If you feel like, no, you know what, I, I just need to pray, spend a little more time, then just stay at the front and we certainly won't um, miss you. So let's pray together. Oh, now maybe first, can we open those dreadful little communion things so we don't just get a, you know how it's, you sit with, near someone in the movies and they're opening lollies and they crackle as loud as a, three, as a 303 rifle, they boom, you know. So if you can get the communion elements open so that when it's right for you. See, Jesus didn't just talk about love. He came to his disciples, washed their feet, knowing every one of them was going to run away from him. And he was going to demonstrate love as only God can love. And he said, this is my body broken for you. So do this in remembrance of me. And then... He pours in the wine of his blood that cleanses us from our sin. The oil of the Holy Spirit, the Samaritan, he poured in oil and wine. The wine of his blood, he said, this is my blood of the new covenant. It's not an emotional love, it's a covenant love. Never stops, never ceases. It's new every morning. As you drink the wine, well, first of course, confess to God, whatever it is he's putting his finger on. But drink in freedom. And if you would like us to pray that literally the oil of the Holy Spirit will be poured into you new and fresh today, you'll have a chance to come forward. Let's spend time with God. Take communion when it's right for you together.
Spirit of the living God fall fresh on us. Give us grace to empty out the rubbish, Lord. Everything that's getting between us and you. Forgive me for when I talk, but don't do. Spirit of the living God, break us and melt us and mould us. Holy Spirit, fill us. So that we know you never leave us or forsake us. That in all things you work for our good. Lord, for those of us who have responded in some, we know the clutter that we're being asked to clear and we know your word is to us and we know you want your truth to set us free. Grant us your grace. May your perfect love drive out fear. enjoyed this podcast brought to you from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. Our prayer is that what was said today inspires you and strengthens you in your faith. If you would like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, you can contact the team during office hours on the number you can find on our website at mounties.org.au. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to having your company again soon. God bless.